Again, that's John 15, 5 through 11. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things, sorry. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Echo Church. Let's jump into prayer together right away here. Father, you've given us an amazing picture of yourself as the giver of nutrients which flow through you to us as branches. And you've called us to yourself. You've called us now twice in this chapter so far to abide in you, to remain, to dig our roots deep into you, to, to grab you by faith, to hold on to you by faith, wrap our arms around you and never let go because the source of life and joy and fruit bearing comes from you, Lord. So you've called us, you're calling us boldly in this last moments of your earthly life here before you go to the cross in just a few hours from this point. You're calling your disciples and then by extension us to come to yourself. And so I pray this morning for your Holy Spirit to come and draw us because, Lord, you've taught us that words, mere words are not enough. Mere empty commands are not enough. That your Holy Spirit has to draw us. And so I pray for a miracle because we need a miracle this morning. Our hearts are without you. Our hearts are nothing. We are like that dead wood that gets cut off and thrown into the fire. That's our hearts apart from you. And so we ask you this morning, Lord, to come and to meet us, Lord. And to anyone hearing my voice that does not yet know you, I pray you would draw them to yourself this morning through your word. And to those of us that are that are holding on to you, that have come to you by faith, but are, but, are, but are finding life hard. We're finding it difficult in this life to go forward. We're finding the, the pain to be maybe in some cases too much. God, I pray that you would call us to hold on and to even dig deeper into who you are in the midst of this difficult life. So come and meet us with the fullness of joy Come and meet us in the fullness of your power to change our hearts this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. 
Okay, we are continuing our series as we have been. We're actually hitting, we're coming really close to the end of a 26-week. Yeah, you heard it right. 26 weeks all the way through from the beginning of the school year. We began the I Am Statements of Jesus. We're now on the last one and we're rounding up the last one here where Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says it in John chapter 15, starting in verse one. And here we are now in week three of looking at Jesus as the true vine. We're in a two-part series, as Ryan said, talking about the six reasons now that Jesus gives us to abide in him. And I said it last week, and I, I just can't say this enough. The Bible gives us reasons. I love that. I, will, I never want to stop saying that or, or being amazed by that, that scripture doesn't just give commands and say, obey them but gives us the reasons often why we should obey them. And I just consider that to be merciful from Jesus because he could have said, I'm God of the universe, obey me. Much like our parents, right? Or if you are parents, you've said this to your kids, because I'm your dad, that's why. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit, gives us through his word reasons. And I find six of them now in verses 5 through 11. Three of them we covered last week. We looked at verse nine, first of all, last week, and we saw that, that Jesus is calling us in verse nine. There's the command. There's what he tells us to do. You can find it right there in your Bibles. Abide in my love. There's the command covering the entire six verses or so from verses five to 11. And we saw there that there is a love which flows through us that if you're gonna put your trust in Christ has already been there for you from the foundation of the world. You're meeting a love that has already met you. You're not initiating a love that God looks at you and then says, okay, I suppose I'll love you now, but you're meeting a love that has been there for you. That was reason number one. We saw in verse number five, verse five, that abiding in Jesus' love is the only way to bear fruit. We talked last week about the fact that there's something deep inside of us that longs for change. We, can, we, we find fads all over the place. We find marketing all over the place, trying to market change in our lives. And that, that reflects something deeply, deeply that we know about ourselves, namely that we need change in our lives. There's something broken in us that needs fixing. And so verse five, Jesus says, this is it. This is the only way for lasting change to happen in your life. That fruit, he calls it, will be born in your life. Okay, that was last week. And then we saw in verse six, we had this hard verse, right? That the branches that don't bear fruit are cut away and thrown into the fire. We talked about the reality of hell last week. It's a, it's a sobering, stark reality that there are two kinds of people in the world, according to the Bible. There are those who bear fruit because they're tied into the nutrients of Jesus. And there are those that do not. And it's difficult for us today. And there are many churches and there are many pastors that want to do away with verses like that. But, but that does us no good to simply ignore verses in God's word. So we wanted to bring that up and, and say there is an alternative to fruit bearing. And it is that the branch is thrown into the fire. And we talked about that difficult reality. Now, what I want to do today is talk about the three reasons that remain in our text. 
This is part two, as I said. So here's the main point. If you're taking notes, here's the main point I want to hit. I want you guys to get this morning. Abide in Jesus' love for the heart desires that glorify God and satisfy you. Okay, what are we doing this for? What is under this command to abide in Jesus' love? What do we, it's, it's, a, it's a weird question, but let me, let me say it provocatively. What do I get out of this? That's an okay question to ask. The Bible lets us ask that. Did you know that? The Bible lets you ask the question, what do I get out of this? Here's what you get. The word for is what I'm indicating you get. You get heart desires that glorify God and satisfy you. The fullness of joy, the Bible is going to tell us at the end. Okay, so let's look, at, let's look at verse 7 now, and let's see the first of our reasons today. John 15, 7, here's what he says. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, here's the point. Here's the point I want to make. Here's the fourth reason of the, of the six. Abide in Jesus' love because he will give you new desires then fulfill them, and then fulfill them. He will give you new desires, and then he will fulfill them. Now, I want to suggest to you guys this morning that the verse that we just read, Verse 7, John chapter 15, verse 7, is one of the most abused verses in the Bible. That there are entire movements of churches that have been built off of verses like this and, and, and leading people astray oftentimes with eternal consequences. False teachers want to take a verse like this and read it and then say something like this. Do you want a new car? Abide in Jesus and ask whatever you wish. Do you want that bigger house up on the hill? Are you sick and in need of healing? Abide in Jesus and he has to heal you. Because after, after all, he says it right here, ask whatever you wish and it will, not might, not maybe, it will be done for you. Okay? But that's what the verse sounds like, right? I mean, you have to be honest. You have to come to the verse and say, it seems like that's what it's saying. So we need to slow down for a minute. We need to slow down and we need to talk about this. And I want to talk about what this, this verse means. And I don't just want to tell you what the verse means. I want you to see, I want us to see and learn together how we handle a verse like this and how we bring the rest of scripture to bear on this verse so we have a fuller understanding and, a need, and needed a necessary understanding of what this verse actually means. So how do we handle abused verses? That's what I want to ask. And this is one of them. How do we handle abused verses? Most verses are abused by being taken what we call out of context. And here's what I mean by that. Somebody will pull one verse, such as John 15, 7, and they'll pull that verse out and they'll throw that verse in front of you. And then they'll proceed to tell you what that verse means based upon just the verse. 
Not what came before it, not what comes after it, not other verses that might be similar that might talk about that. And so they will typically pull a verse out of context, which is one of the reasons here at Echo Church why we like to go through the Bible. Even in a, a series like this where we're doing the I am statements of Jesus, that's not a book of the Bible, but we're in the book of John and we want to take text, a lot of text, and we want to look at it together so we can start to get context for what a lot of these verses mean. But even then, even if you show a verse in context, a lot of times, uh, or, or, or even if you show other verses that are going to be similar to that, you can still bring confusion. For instance, what a lot of these churches, and these are false churches, and typically they're called by a name, the name that we give them are health and wealth churches. These are churches that say exactly what I just said. Do you want to be wealthy? Jesus says, ask for anything. Do you want to be healthy? Jesus says, ask for anything. It has to be given to you. That's the basic idea behind a health and wealth church. And they are all over the place. We probably wouldn't, and I'm not, I don't have a particular church in mind around us, but we probably wouldn't have to drive far to find one. That's how prevalent they are around us. And they will even do things like this. Okay, we just gave you one verse. Let's give you more verses that say the same thing. And the next thing we'll see, Matthew 7, 7. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Do you see that? They're, they're now, we're now lining up verses side by side, which seem to be suggesting the same thing. Or how about Psalm 37, 4? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That Ferrari is mine, right? I've delighted myself in the Lord. So what we've done is we've just strung a bunch of verses together, right? We didn't talk about any one of those verses, but if you just hit people over and over and over again with verses that sound similar, you can make those verses sound, you know, say whatever you really want them to say. But none of those verses actually limited the requests, did they? They None of them actually said, well, you can only ask for these things. So it seems like you can ask for anything, right? Anybody want to go leave Echo Church and just go join a health and wealth church? Are we ready to are we ready to just be convinced that this is the case that you can ask for absolutely anything? Let's take the last verse, the one I just mentioned, and let's just look at this one a little bit more and a little deeper and we'll see that this 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 understanding of ask for anything that you want that your wicked heart would desire and it's yours is faulty. Okay, Psalm 37, four, let's look at it again. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But what does the verse actually say? Does it say God will grant your desires as they stand? In other words, anything you want, whatever I already have as desires, God's gonna give me those desires and they're mine. no. It doesn't actually say that. The verse itself doesn't say that. It says that he will give you desires. Wait, there's a puzzle here. Everybody turn your brains on. It's early in the morning. He will give you desires. 
not grant your desires, give you desires. Wait. Is that really what he's saying? Look at the first six words. Look at it again. He will give to you desires or the desires. But we read that and in our brains, we think he's going to grant whatever my desires already are that I have. But in Hebrew, it's clear. The thing that he's actually giving are new desires. You see, when you come to Jesus, your heart changes. That part of you that, that desires things, it changes. God actually does surgery on you. He does heart surgery on you. In fact, he tells you, and he tells us in Ezekiel 36, 26, that what I'm going to do when you put your trust in me is I'm going to give you a new heart. He says, and a new spirit I'm going to put within you. I will remove the old heart you used to have, the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Now, that's confusing to you if you know a little bit of the Bible. That's a heart that's living, beating. It's alive with desires to love God. So we become changed people. So that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, God says, here are new desires that you never had before. And your new heart beats with those new desires. Those desires are to do the Lord's will. They're to love him. They aren't to fulfill your fleshly desire for more money or things. That, that desire in us for just, I got to have more. I got to have more. The Bible calls that fleeting. The Bible says that those things that we desire, kind of the, that philosophy that used to see shirts back in the day that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. You remember those? That, I think that was back in the 80s. That was my, my guess. There were these shirts, he who dies with the most toys wins. And the Bible would say, he who dies, there's another shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Like you die and you don't get to take those with you. Whatever happiness you gain, that's earthly happiness, is a fleeting happiness. It runs from you. It flees from you quicker than you can count. And so what, what, what we have here are desires that are new, that are deeper, that are a longing for the Lord. And so what the false teachers didn't say in this verse and all of these verses is that God has given new desires to those who have trusted him. And the Bible assumes that you know that when the Bible gives these verses. In other words, you don't want anymore when the Holy Spirit is working in you. You don't just want things anymore. You don't just want riches and and luxury and oh i just want health for the sake of health those things become false sort of siren songs of of false idols calling to you when you're saying i just want the lord now listen this doesn't mean in the christian life that we take a vow of poverty this doesn't mean in the Christian life that we become somehow masochists where we, we, we long for sickness and we long for, for disease to happen in our life. So we're not going to jump to the opposite conclusion here and swing the pendulum all the way over and say you can't have any of those things. So what do we do? 
What is, what is the Christian life? What are we called to do? And this is where I want to apply this text now. What does it look like in our lives to actually live the way Jesus called us to when he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What are we called to do then to actually live in light with that? What does the life that looks like, what is the life that is abiding in Christ actually look like? And here I want to apply it by looking specifically at a verse that calls us to live in terms of wealth. What do we live? How do we live as Christians in terms of wealth? And then I want to look at a verse that specifically tells us how do we live as Christians in terms of health? All right. So wealth and health. Let's look first at the one having to do with wealth, abiding in Christ and asking for help for wealth. What are we supposed to ask for? What are we doing? Proverbs 30 Verses seven through nine. Notice the heart of this man. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Deny them not from me before I die. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do, do you hear what the, the writer of this particular proverb is saying? He's saying, what is the heart that I should have when it comes to poverty versus riches? Where should I be? What should I be asking for when it comes to a, a heart that has been, that is constrained by the Holy Spirit? He is thinking in this, in this verse, how can I honor my God? Do you see that there? God, I, I, I don't want to be so wealthy that that wealth pulls me away from you. And I don't want to be so poor that I would be somehow tempted to steal because I've got to feed my family and I, I, need, I, 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 need to, I need that sustenance. I need to subsist. And so I got to go take from somebody in order to, to, to feed my family. God, please, please, please give me my provision that you are going to give me in the given day. But I don't want to stray from you by having so much that I'm tempted to say, Who's the Lord? I don't need the Lord. I don't need God in my life. I've got wealth. I've got everything I need at my fingertips. I snap my fingers and there it is. So his heart, his desire is to follow the Lord. And somehow that means being in between two extremes, doesn't it? It means living in the middle. Now, I know if you were just to do a general, if somehow all of us were to write, write down our bank account balance, right? I'm not going to do it, I promise. But if some of us were to all write that down, we would come all over, we'd be all over the place. That's not the point. That's not the point. We're all probably, as we live right now, in some kind of middle ground, because you will find people that are so wealthy, they are, that, that, that they're, they're, they're just, their bank account literally seems like it would never, ever, ever go down. Like they could not spend the money that they have. There are people in this life like that. 
And there are people that are so destitute and poor. And most likely, as I'm looking at you right now, and if you're hearing my voice, you fall in the middle of those two categories. And so the heart behind this is to say, God, thank you for the provision that you give me every day. I need you for it. I need you in my life and to never lose that, never lose that heart. But the health and wealth gospel wants to say, you can ask him for more, 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 more. You can be wealthy because he wants you to be wealthy. And I don't see that in this text. Does your heart reflect this, this writer of Proverbs here? Do you desire a wealth status where, where your bank account falls? Do you desire a wealth status that allows you to honor the Lord most? Okay, so that's wealth. What about health? What does the Bible say about our health and the attitude that we are supposed to have when it comes to health? Let's, let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. This is going to be shocking to some of us, but I want to lay out what Paul is doing here when it comes to his own health. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Philippians about what he desires in, in regards to his health. Now, his health is going to be a little different than your health. He's actually wondering whether he's going to be executed or not for being a Christian. But I would put it under the same category of him wondering about his own health, okay? Philippians 1, 20 to 22, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored. Do you hear that? In my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Can you see the heart there that wants to glorify God no matter what happens in his life? No matter whether his life goes on in, in just the epitome of health or whether his life goes on towards death, whether he's on his deathbed, and he might be at this moment. He doesn't know. He might be at the very, very end of his life. He is not sure at this point, but he says, I, I'm torn between the two because I just want to do what honors the Lord most. I want to honor the Lord in my living. I want to live to the glory of God. And I want to honor the Lord in my dying. I want to die to the glory of God. Now, most of us, if you've been in church for a while, you're probably used to hearing sermons about living for the glory of God. That's most of my sermons. But how many sermons do you hear about dying for the glory of God? And I don't mean uh, some glorious martyr's death. I mean the cancer wing of the hospital dying for the glory of God. I, I, mean, I mean that point where you know it's terminal. It's going to happen. Then what happens to your heart? And Paul says, I want to glorify God at that point. I want my life to honor him as my sickness ends in death, which it might for many of us. Unlike the health and wealth gospel, which says, oh, you're sick? 
Well, you shouldn't be sick. God doesn't want sickness. Ask God for help. What's wrong with you? Don't you have faith? You don't believe enough. That's why. I'm sorry, that's sick. That is sick and it is wrong. And there are almost no words that I could spare for that particular belief system. Because the Bible is full of this kind of mentality. In my dying, I want to honor him. So this isn't a command to be flippant about our health. If you're called to live, live. Keep your body healthy. Keep your temple healthy. Don't put in it things that are going to cloud your judgment, cloud your mind, keep you from seeing clearly, loving clearly, living the way that God has called you to live. Do what you can. Paul actually says physical exercise is of some value. Now he says spiritual exercise is of greater value, but he says, go ahead, work out. Go work out, go eat good food, all of those things so that you can live for the glory of God. That's the point. If you're going to live, live for the glory of God. But if you are called to die, die for the glory of God. Now I haven't had to do a funeral of a member of Echo Church yet. We're a very young church. And, and I have not yet been called to do a funeral. If I am, and in the day that I am called to do a funeral, here's what I would love to say about you. And I hope you, if you're called to do my funeral, would say the same. Not just in your living did you live for the glory of God, but on your deathbed, you died for the glory of God. You know, we talk about things at times, a good death. And I feel like in our society today, we've so removed death out to the margins of our lives that nobody wants to talk about how somebody died because it's, it's, it's icky. It's, I, it, it wasn't pretty. And it's not pretty, friends. It's not pretty. Death is never a pretty thing. But underneath the surface, there is a heart of a believer in their death that the Lord says, I love that. I'm glorified by that. I'm honored by the way they are clinging to me in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the heartbreak of, of, of this life ending. And in the midst of saying goodbye to everything they know on earth, they're loving me in the process. I want to say that over your funerals. I want to be able to talk about that. And I want you to be able to talk about that in my funeral. Friends, we need to learn now how to die well for the future. And the Bible would actually call us to this. But there's a whole nother false teaching out there that says that should never happen. Sickness should never happen. Your death should never happen. And that sickens me. Does your heart reflect Paul? That's the question I want to ask you. Can you really say that I would desire to honor God both in my living and in my dying? Now, let's return to our verse in John. Hopefully we have new insight, right? Hopefully we can see now 
what scripture would say about ask anything. Look at it again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you see that there? Do you see the new heart that comes from Jesus's words abiding in our hearts now? Now it's sort of constraining and controlling us by giving us new desires because his words, what we long for is to obey him and to love him. And then he says, now, now that that's the case, ask anything you want. And our asking will be in line with God's glory, won't it? In fact, if you look at the next verse, isn't that what he says? By this, my father is glorified. By this, by this asking and living in such a way, my father is glorified. That's the kind of hearts we have is to glorify him. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Now let's move on to the next verse. John 15, verse eight. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's the next reason. Number five, if you're taking notes, abide in Jesus because this alone glorifies God. This is very much in line with what we just talked about. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but that life of living for God's glory It glorifies him, abiding in Jesus, clinging to Jesus. It glorifies him. And here's what I want you to see. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Let's look at this verse. For we, Paul says, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want want you to understand the metaphor that Paul's using here. Paul says, we, if you're in Christ this morning, we are his workmanship. Now, the Greek word is poema. And oftentimes I've heard pastors before or or different books say, we're God's poem. It's not quite right. That's not really what it's saying here. It's not, God is not composing a poem. He's designing, he's crafting a masterpiece. He is the master skilled artisan. And maybe you're a vase. I don't know. Maybe you're a a work of art on a wall. The point is the craftsman who made you is displaying his skill. And he's actually calling others to look at the painting on the wall that he just made. Now, here in the metaphor, here's the question we want to ask ourselves. What about us is beautiful That the father who made us is pointing you to and calling to all to glorify him for making it. What is it that's actually beautiful in us? And there's a whole lot of self-esteem sermons at this point that others would try to give of, well, you're just beautiful in yourself and how God made you just as you are. And and I get all that. There's a certain point to which that's true, but that's, that's not where we're going today. I'm not trying to puff up everybody's self-esteem today. What I want want us to see is the text. I want to see what the text says here about what is it that is beautiful that God says, look, 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 look at what I have made. Well, the text tells us, doesn't it? We were created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. It's actually our obedience that shines for God's glory. 
It's actually that part of us that says, out of hearts that have been changed and made new, we now come to God and say, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I obey you more? How can I study your word and understand exactly what you want me to do? And then go live that out in the world. And God says, I'm glorified by that. I'm glorified by that. Friends, don't misunderstand. It isn't our good works that get us to heaven. It's trusting Jesus that gets us to heaven. But once we trust Jesus, good works, as the John 15 says, fruit begins to grow on us. It begins to happen. It begins to come out of us as our hearts are changed. And God says, look at that. Look, look, that's my masterpiece right there. Do you see how this human heart has been changed by me? And now they are producing good fruit, good works in their lives, obedience in their lives. And God calls everybody to look because it's his masterpiece when that happens in our lives. So the Bible tells us we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's one of those scary verses if you're trying to preach the gospel, right? Whoa, wait a minute, good works. I'm, we're not supposed to like works, right? We're supposed to just like, you know, just trusting in Jesus and that's all. No, no. The Bible says the good works flow out of that. He says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friend, you have a number of good works that God has prepared for you today. And he's also enabled you by the power of his Holy Spirit to walk in them. Your obedience is not something that's impossible anymore. Your obedience is something that is possible by his power at work within you. Now, let's just look at one more verse that says this exact same thing. It's Romans chapter one, verse five. And let's look at it again. Though through whom, this is through Jesus. Now I'm in the middle of the sentence. Through whom, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. Why have we received grace? Let's ask the answer the question. Why have we received grace? To bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith, which I believe means the obedience which flows from faith. In other words, you put your, your faith in Jesus at one point, obedience is now flowing out of your life because you put your trust in him and you've received grace to bring about what? Obedience. Now, what happens when that obedience is displayed? What do we see in, in, in verse five here? Obedience of faith for what? For the sake of his name. Now that's Bible language for God's glory. For the sake of God's glory. And who's it among? Among the nations. What does that mean here? In Romans, among the nations means among the unbelievers that are outside of the Christian church. They're watching. They're looking at our lives. They're seeing the way in which we live, Christian, member of Echo Church. They're looking at the way in which you live and they're saying, what kind of God is this that you serve? What kind of church is this that you're gathered in? I want to know by looking at your life. I'm not so much interested in what you say to me. I'm more interested in the obedience which comes. Then I will listen a lot more to what you say. 
Remember what I said last week? We're all looking for change. People that are outside of Jesus have no ability to change. They can change in certain surfacy ways. But if you're in Christ this morning, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity at work inside of you to bring about life change. That means that you can change because you're in Christ. So when the world sees what they can't do, namely change in you, they're interested. So your obedience becomes a display of God's glory to the unbelieving world. And they say, what is this? This is different. There's something real here. This isn't just words and religious activity. There's something more. And they glorify him because of it. Now, one of those things, and here's what I want to ask now. How, does, how, do, how do I glorify God then? If that's what I'm supposed to do, I would answer the question, how do I glorify God with, with obedience? And then you ask the question, well, how can I be more obedient? And I would say from this verse, abide in Christ. Tie in more, tie in deeper to Jesus. Don't just focus on obedience. Focus on your depth of your relationship with Christ and obedience comes from that. And if you ask, well, then how can I abide in Christ? Then the answer is go deeper with him. The metaphor is teaching us to grip Jesus harder, hold him closer, spend more time with him, get in his word more, love him more than the other things that have rivaled him in your life. Get those things off the throne of your life, put Jesus on the throne of your life, and you will see that obedience begins to flow when he is in his right place on the throne. Your life depends on that. Your eternity depends on that. that. That fight of the Christian to love him more day by day. Your sense of purpose and fulfillment in your life depends on it. The display of God's glory to those around you depends on it. And finally, where we're going to finish this morning, your joy depends on it. That deep satisfaction at the bottom of your heart, which is just full and delighting in God and who he is. Look at John 15, 11. This is where we're going to end. Final reason now why Jesus gives to abide in him. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Number six, abide in Jesus' love because lasting fullness of joy is found only in him. Abide in his love because that's where joy is to be found. I'm going to switch this word for happy for just a minute. I know that joy and happiness are probably a little different in your minds. But I'm going to say this to be a little bit provocative. Jesus wants you to be happy. I want to say that again. Jesus wants you to be happy. Now, what I say next determines whether I'm a false teacher or a good teacher of the Bible. 
Jesus wants you to be happy, but he alone is the source of true joy in your life. Not things. Not you working up the ladder of your career. Not even family. Not even your spouse. He alone is the true source of your happiness. And he says, I want you to find that. I want you to find full happiness. But I'm the only one that offers it. So come to me, he says, to find that joy, to find that lasting happiness. All other ground, as we sing, is sinking sand. All of it. You put your joy in your spouse, they will fail you and you will not be happy. You put your joy in your job, it will fail you. You put your joy in your kids, they will fail you. You put your joy in Christ, it can never be taken from you. Ever. For all eternity. Your death can't take it from you. Other people, they can take all of your earthly possessions, everything. They cannot take that joy from you. It is a sustaining never-ending, never-depleting source of joy. And it's found only in Jesus. And he says, abide in me because this and this alone is where your joy is full. The Bible calls it fleeting to seek after other things but a deep and abiding personal relationship with Jesus Christ will fulfill your deepest need and it will glorify God because God is glorified when we are happy in Christ. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I invite you again to call to just call us deeper into you, into Jesus Christ. Call us more fully into him. Show us ways in our hearts right now that we have gone astray and put other so-called gods upon the throne of our life. And we've, we know if we're honest with ourselves that that has led to, been, that has led to sadness and sometimes depression in us. And what we want is we want the source of joy. So help us, God, help us to be faithful to you in loving you, in knowing you, in longing for you deeper than we long for anything else, knowing this truth about you, that it is for our joy that we receive you and you're glorified when we receive you for our joy. So it works. It all works, God, because you desire to be glorified and we desire to be happy. And that links when we find our happiness in you and you alone, you are glorified by that and we find our truest sense of happiness. So God, would you call us to that now? Would you help us, God, to destroy all rivals to you as the one who's on the throne? Call us to it. Holy Spirit, come and meet us. We need your help in this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.